Thank you, as always, for listening to The Tully Show. The good news, Mark McGrath is back. The bad news, he's back on Zoom. We're hoping that moving forward way more often than not, we'll be doing the show in person, but I think we can all agree. Zoom Mark is better than no Mark at all. This is a fun show. I thought this was going to be a quick one, and clearly when he and I start talking about music, it's never going to be a quick one. A quick reminder, my Patreon, patreon.com slash Mike Tully. If for some insane reason you have enjoyed the music that I've posted in the past, my own music, the album Retrofit that's up on Spotify, for example, I kind of just realized I have this whole other album I made in the early 2000s, kind of a home recording, a glorified home recording I did with our dear friend Brian Cullen. And I'm going to put it up on my Patreon next week in addition to a pod that Brian and I are going to do talking about all the dumb behind the scenes stories of that band and making that album. So if that interests you at all, in addition to the dozens of Patreon exclusive podcasts that are also on my page there, once again, it is patreon.com slash Mike Tully, patreon.com slash Mike Tully. Okay, you ready to start this show? Coming to you live on tape as we celebrate roaring forward into, I don't know, month 16, month 17 of world-class high-fidelity Zoom podcasting. From my now nine-year-old son's bedroom in rapidly gentrifying Culver City adjacent California boasting, yes, a partially obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign. This is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, the lead singer of Sugar Ray and three-time champion of Rock and Roll Jeopardy. Hello and welcome back, our dear friend, Mark McGrath. What is up, Tully? And so much a pleasure. But I got to say, man, I got spoiled last week. You know, unfortunately, logistics, uh, scheduling. uh, The only way we could do this is through Zoom. And I got to get my Tully music fix in. So I said, let's make it happen. But obviously, we're going to be working towards the future, getting together more. It's more effective for us. We have more fun. And I I think it's it's better for the audience. So I hope people put up with us on this one. But this is not going to be the future of this for sure. Well said, well said. It, it feels like we had a very satisfying conjugal visit. And, was, now we're, uh, and now we're back to being prison pen pals. Well, like one of us went to the hall for bad behavior. And now we're, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now we're, just sending, now we're just sending Polaroids of our boobs to each other. You know what I mean? <laughs> which is fine. Which still works for me. <laughs> hey, man. There's a time and a place, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll be back. But we know the most effective way is face-to-face. I, I was really great seeing you last week, and I, the energy Likewise. was cracking. It was just fun. It was, it was, it's fun to play off your nonverbals. I mean, obviously, I can see you on Zoom, but it's just yeah. different when you're in the room, the sound sets. Kind of like playing live music, man. You know what I mean? You can Zoom all you want on acoustic, but until you get on stage and out with the crowd, it's, uh, it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, with all due respect to any artist who performed a Zoom concert over the last 15 months. Which uh, we did. Which we did. I I speak from experience. Yeah. Yeah. So the great thing is, uh, you know, I, I keep this list of documents of things that I think might be fun for us to talk about. But the more that we talk, the more things mushroom and pop off, bubble off naturally from the conversations. Just one of the many ways in which the year of 1981 has really it's given us so much over the years and now it continues to give us fun things to talk about 
the last time we spoke, I don't remember how it came up, but we started talking about the albums that have spent the longest time, the most number of weeks on the Billboard Top 200 album chart. I know we were talking about Carol King. I don't, I don't even remember why or how she came up. But her album Tapestry is one of those out. That one, those to me, it was always Back in Black and and Tapestry were and Dark the Side of the, that, Dark Side of the Moon too. Yeah, that's oh, sorry and and Dark Side of the Moon. No, yeah. you're absolutely right. And the, yeah. and then the Black album became the album that that joined it there, where it was just going to be there. It was always going to be one of the most popular albums, uh, one of the 200 most popular albums in America, regardless of how many years it had been kicking around and so a couple people the one person i'm thinking of specifically my friend and friend of the show josh eldridge sent me a link that's just hey here's the albums that have spent the longest time on the billboard chart and some were very predictable to me some were very surprising so i thought we could just take a look at that list i love that and who knew you know you know it's interesting totally 81 if you look back at 81 as a year I was like, okay, we're going to get through 81. They'll get to the kind of magical years, the 1983s, the 84s, mm-hmm. the 87s, sure. the ones that really, but it's funny that a year that like on paper or in my memory didn't really have a huge impact on music, had a gigantic impact on music because of the cathartic nature that that year, that year lets you know which artists we're going to be carrying on and which artists we're going to drop off. It, it's just a phenomenal right. year to dissect the releases has been so much fun to do and it's let us let us like you said to where we are now i mean the 20 hits thing someone wrote in about hey dude you think abba was a band that might have had 20 hits i go that's a great question and so the little sidebars that we're doing are starting to become topics on themselves and that is the yep. gift the 1981 has given the telly show yeah i uh, a guy told me he and his wife have been applying the the 20 hit rule or test to any number of acts since we introduced that on the show here last week. I, we could do that. I mean, that could That's be a, a whole slam show. All, all, all by itself. But you can't do every artist. You could do, no. what do you do, like three three a week? And well, then we'll just make it here. a two-hour show. We'll make it a long one, dude, because, you know, that needs to need deep dive, and we need to give respect where respect is due. If you have 20 hits that we all know, yeah. I want right. to recognize you. That's an incredible, yeah. incredible, incredible, uh, you know, the, uh, accomplishment. Whether you want to call it 20 hits or 20 classics, they're not always the same thing. Needless to say, we'll be talking about artists in that rarefied air when we're talking about the artists who've had albums that have stayed on the Billboard chart for the longest. We're talking about the... Okay, so Carole King didn't even make the cut of the top 20 albums for duration on the charts, despite the fact that Tapestry, at last count, was on the charts for 318 weeks. That is mind-blowing to me yeah that's over six years that tapestry was in the top 200 she's not on the list and it's not particularly close and and make the top 20 that's just that's just incredible so i just want to give some credit where credit is due because i don't think people talk about carol king i don't think people think about carol king music people i think even even like myself, you tend to think of her a little bit more as a songwriter than as a, a performer. And it was such a distinguished run, such a long run. She's one of these people. She wrote some hit song, I swear, at least co-wrote in the 50s, in, the, yeah, like, she was, in like 1958 or something. 
She was part of the last yeah, vestige, if you will, the last bastion yeah. of the Brill Building songwriters. That's they right. went to the Brill Building. They went, hey, Carol King, meet, uh, you know, uh, Tommy James, whoever it was. And they sat down and wrote songs. It was a bit of a factory. And they made a mm -hmm. song and someone gave them 20 bucks for him, a publisher, a record label. That was it. That was it. It was, it yeah. was a literally a literal songwriting factory. So she comes from that that uh, that era. And I think she one of the songs is like purple polka dot eater something it's like a novelty song that she wrote when she was like a teenager you know her and neil yeah. sadaka were part of that brill building uh uh that last uh the last gasp if you will of that type of songwriting until people caught yeah. on to what publishing actually meant you know what residuals were and then it changed the whole dynamic Lou Reed was one of those guys. No, I don't think he was Brill Building, but he was in one of those factories for a minute at the, the tail end of that stuff. And it's funny because when he needed to just cook up a song in a hurry, he could because he'd had that, that sort of factory assembly of music training. And it was always the stuff that he was tossing off. And almost invariably, it's the stuff that I like the best, I guess, not that surprisingly, the stuff that he wrote for Nico. He didn't want Nico. Nico was this ingenue that was hanging out around Andy Warhol, and Andy basically said, Nico's in your band now. Imagine how that would feel to anybody, and now imagine how that would feel to the person we now know to be Lou Reed. Imagine how that would feel to the person that we now universally consider the inventor of alternative music. To say nothing of John Cale, who, who's a, no. incredibly a, a pillar of credibility in his own right, this hot chick's in your band now. Not no question about it. So Lou Reed spent about forty-five minutes <laughs> writing all the songs that Nico sang, and and to me those are at least half of the really really good Velvet Underground songs. Neither here nor nor there. Lou Reed will not be appearing on this list. Oh no! You're, yeah, you're right. <laughs> in our hearts, he's always appearing. You know, songs like Femme Fatale. You know, they're they're. He, he was raised on that don't bore us, get to the chorus philosophy of songwriting. If you came from those factories in the 50s, the late 50s, even into the early 60s, they were still doing some of these Pat Boone, Flower uh, uh, Footprints in the Sand type big songs. So he had a verse, chorus, and he knew how to structure a song. Now, whether it killed him inside to write it, knowing Lou Reed, it probably did, he could yes. do it. And to give it to someone else, which a lot of these songwriters did, probably made it easier to try to write a hit when you weren't doing it for yourself, if that makes any sense at all. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I'll yeah. swing for the fences on a hit because I know I'm not trying to make it so blatantly obvious I'm gonna, I'm gonna run through Nico. And by the way, Nico was some, apparently some charismatic alien that wasn't of this earth that had more beauty to seduce any man alive. I guess Jim Morrison and everybody, I mean, you, you turned Jim Morrison into a, a puddle, a crying puddle of yeah. uh, confusion. So I, if, if someone asked to have Nico on my band, she'd be welcome with the open arms. But I understand Lou Reed, <laughs> a little bit of a acerbic nature of a, of a, a confusion to add him into the, uh, the her in the Velvet Underground. But I think, like you said, some of the best songs he ever wrote were on her record. Yep, yep, yep. So, uh, yeah, speaking of writing hit songs for other people, this Tapestry album from Carol King, I'm not exactly sure when the hits happen. Like, for example, she sings You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman on the album. I mentioned that last week. That was already, I think, an established classic from Aretha Franklin. But she wrote it, so she's allowed to sing it, too. Um, uh, you've got a friend. Her version predates, it is her song, predates the James Taylor version. The Will You Love Me Tomorrow song, I feel, was covered by other people, but I think hers is is the 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 classic version. 
I feel the earth move is on that. And I just want to play a little bit of, uh, of uh, this song right here. One of the many, many enduring classics off of Carol King's tapestry. Everyone will know. Jazzy, Bacharach-esque. Very Bacharach-esque, well played. And that piano part came right in right when you said that, which was a yep. right-on assessment. You know, when you look at a record like Tapestry, it reads like your greatest hits. You know, it truly yeah. does. It's just such a phenomenal. It's also such an era-defining moment uh, of a record. Yeah. I was I was old enough. I was about five, six when that record came out. It's one of those songs that it puts me right back in the 70s and my mom's corvette stingray which i used to burn the shit out of my legs on on her side pipes we go to the uh we go to simsbury racket club in connecticut and i've just got these i put me right in that mood so i think there's an interesting carol kane's kind of fallen off. i don't want to say falling off some songs stick around forever and have legs like tiny dancers or you know what i mean but it's too late uh so far away Yes, we recognize these songs right away, but they're not con- consistently played on recurrent channels like some of the other classics of the 70s are. And I think that's a crying, that's a crying shame considering how gigantic and successful that record was. Do you agree with that? Yeah, well, I think that it definitely helps if you have a larger than life persona or image or, you know, an, an icon thing to hang it on top. Now, some songs are just pop so hard in such an enduring fashion that you don't need that. But I don't that song is to me. I, I think that song's better than Tiny Dancer. But she was no oh. Elton John in terms of of, of the charisma. I, I'll come back over and over again to the thing that Sir Mix-a-Lot said Rick Rubin told him. When, when Rick Rubin started working with him, which is that he showed him silhouettes of Run DMC and of uh, a Public Enemy. And Sir Mix-a-Lot was like, that's, that's Public Enemy. That's Run DMC. And then Rick Rubin showed him a silhouette of himself, and he couldn't identify it. And Rick Rubin said, that's your problem. That's how identifiable you need to be. And that's when he started doing the big pimp jackets and, and stuff hats, like that. Yeah. Carol King's silhouette means absolutely nothing in musical history, and Elton John's does, and it goes a long way. Boy, that's that's an incredible intuitive assessment by Rick Rubin. You know, especially when you're talking about superstar. Forget about a good song or the ability no, right. to write it's one. It's different. When right, when you want to draw, draw, you know, when you want to talk about the legacy of artists, you want to talk about that rarefied air of of of, of, of superstar charisma. Also, let's be honest, I don't think Carol King released a lot of material. You know, I think mm-hmm. after Tapestry, she kind of uh, fell back a little bit. She didn't tour yeah. a lot. We know the Elton Johns of the world, the Billy Joels of the world, were continually releasing material, at least trying to t- stay current. There is no MTV era for Carol King. There is none. No. There is one no. for Billy Joel. There is one for Elton John. So she did not make that. And it has a lot to do with the fact that maybe she wasn't the most charismatic performer, mm-hmm. you know, and it has a lot to do with it. So I think you're answering my question right now for me. I like it. It's unusual that you hear a singer that sounds shy on tape. That sounds that 
that human you know it's just a, it's just an unusual characteristic in somebody who decides to stand in front of the room and say look at me look at me i made a song and now i'm gonna sing it for you to sound reserved i don't know how familiar you are with sean colvin the female singer songwriter of course sean sonny colvin. came home I, yeah sure sonny came home is such a terrific song and that's something i always got off of her sonny uh, uh, sean colvin sounds like an actual shouldn't sound like a rock singer she sounds like a human being who sings songs and it's such a rare lane to be in as a singer and it's so disarming and so charming Boy, that's a that's a beautiful beautiful description, and and what it adds is a vulnerability. You know, you feel like the yes. person's about to break down in the next that's chorus, right. and what that does is adds a relatability as a songwriter. I think Todd yeah. Todd Rundgren, besides I want to bang on the drum and all that, but the hello it's me, you know, those all feel so plaintive and like a little bit embarrassed about. You know, there's there's something of there's a vulnerability and a shyness about that, yeah. which is so ironic when you're the lead vocal. In a band, you know, trying to get people to hear you. So it's a beautiful quality to have. It's great. Okay, we got twenty of these to get through. uh, So let's just let's try to let's try to get on the fast track a little bit. So, needless to say, some of these albums, the the you know the albums that spent the longest on the Billboard chart, are greatest hits albums, and we'll acknowledge them, but except for where it's really necessary, we'll kind of brush over those because those those don't really well, let me let, let, let me stop you right there, because to me, yeah. that's, you know, that's cheating a little bit. Now, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because Tapestry yeah. should belong in there before a greatest hit should. Now, now, we're, yeah. now we're kind of breaking down the minutia of what this is. How many of these are uh, individual records that aren't greatest hits of the 20 we're going to talk about? Just out of curiosity. Or do you okay, not know off the top of your head? No, 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 no. I, I know. I already forgot one. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. I think eight of them are greatest hits records. Eight, eight are greatest hits. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Now, now you're getting a real verified. I've been talking about really twelve that were the mm-hmm. records that you, you know what I mean. But let, we'll talk about the twenty. But I think there's a big, you know, sort of a. Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds, Asterix behind the greatest hits uh, records. You know what I mean? You, you have a little bit of steroids in your release, you know? Sure, sure, sure. Well, we'll talk about them as, as they come. Number 20 on the list with 411 weeks on the Billboard chart. And, and, and any of these, they're all and counting, because if you've spent that many, there's a good chance you'll pop back on at some point again in the future, particularly with the way record sales work, or I should say don't work nowadays. Mm-hmm. Number 20 on the list is a little indie band out of England called The Beatles. Um, Abbey Road <laughs> was... Sorry, yeah. I wasn't ready. <laughs> I was there dry humor. It just hits me in the nuts when I'm not ready for it. <laughs> so right, Abbey Road, uh, like most of these, like almost all these albums, needs no introduction. Nonetheless, we are talking about uh, this bad boy right here. know how they whoever they or he was wrote i'm gonna go 
and you play a couple notes on an electric piano and you just do this very, very light Tom rolls. It's just a strange thing to come up with. I, I totally agree. And, and yeah, who suggested that? That was a George <laughs> Martin. You know, I'm, I'm I don't think George Martin. I think LSD probably suggested that. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, probably right. had a huge factor in the club. But you look at that record, top to bottom. Such a beautiful record. There's some old, you know, old. There's some old. It's funny. The Beatles' whole recording career was seven years, so it's amazing to say there's an old look at some early Beatles. Well, yeah, I saw like old darling reminds you of early Beatles, and then you can see where they were going. Well, they carried that weight and something. I mean. It's such a beautiful record. Is it the high, longest charting Beatles record? Will we'll be seeing the Beatles again on this? Uh, this we will only be seeing the Beatles when it comes to the compilation album Beatles One. Great, gotcha. The greatest hits after that. So this is the one that made it on its own, standalone. Is Abbey Road your favorite Beatles record? Um, I'm the wrong guy to ask. I don't really have a favorite Beatles right. album. Uh, I, I, I've come, I. I was just as the contrarian was kind of like, yeah, they're great. Of course they're great. I don't really care. I've just been, I've really, really tried so many times and I, I've never appreciated the Beatles more than I do at this point in my life, but I still find them incredibly hit or miss. There's not one album that they made that doesn't have a couple songs on it that I don't find. This is sacrilege, but I'll just say for me, for my personal listening, fairly ridiculous. Yeah, you know. well, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree with you more. There are there are there are fillers and duds on every Beatles record. And now yeah. whether you know it's it, whether the the uh, snobs want to admit that or not, there just are. Now, if I don't understand you know, Bullfrog Number Nine, you know, forgive me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. It, it's like you know, I'm also a expert on music because I have ears, like everybody yeah. else is. You know, so right. I, I think you're completely right. Like uh, on, in that case, yeah, there's songs to just stick. And, and that's okay. Also, there was a lot yeah. of songwriters in the Beatles, and when they started realizing about publishing, like Ringo, can I get a song on the album? Oh, you, you know what I mean? They and they started getting a little bit smarter uh, in terms of realizing where the money was uh, going. When Paul and uh, when Paul and John bought these castles, and Ringo stole in a flat in Camden, he's like, "Come on, guys, give me a song or two." Yeah, you know? yeah. Like uh, I would say that. Uh, my favorite Beatles song is almost definitely a day in the life. And my second or third favorite song is strawberry fields forever. So, and I think that's on Sergeant peppers. Yes, that's correct. Okay. And I like Sergeant pepper. That's fun. That's cool. So I guess yeah. that's my favorite album, but there's some real crap on Sergeant pepper. Oh yeah, no, definitely. And that, that made that album was admittedly made an LSD. So, you know, yeah. if, if you ever, you know, I remember we used to write, write songs after maybe a bump or two. We thought it was the greatest yeah. song we ever wrote. The next day, we couldn't even listen back to the playback. We were so in a cringe fest and embarrassment. So, um, exactly. you know, uh, but but uh, you know what's really amazing? When George Harrison is your third best songwriter in your band, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? I the know. Beatles were just destined for greatness, you know? I mean, some of my favorite songs are songs that George, George, uh, George, my top 10 Beatles songs. George has maybe at least two of them. At least. Well, something and uh, not wait. Um, Here comes the sun. Are both on Abbey Road? So Ab Abbey Road is not the twentieth greatest selling album of all time, were it not for George Harrison's songwriting. Well said. Without his contributions, this is not. This isn't going to have the legs. Those those yes. are the standout tracks on on the song. Without, Come together is a good song. I don't love it. You know, yeah. I love Here Comes the Sun. You know, I love some Frank Sinatra said something is one of the best songs 
ever written. And like yeah. 1971, he's like, I like to do a song by four kids out of London or whatever the hell he said. I think he said the wrong, said the wrong city. Yeah. And, he goes, and he said something. And he's, he does a beautiful version of it, man. He, the way Sam, uh, Frankie Mozart. So, you know, yeah. when, when, they, when the chair on the board uh, validates your songwriting, you're on something. Yeah, yeah. I, I like Come Together simply because I've never heard another song that sounds like Come Together. And, and most songs I would say that about are songs where I appreciate the effort, but it never really came together. No pun right. intended. No, no I understand. It is fucking bizarre what they're doing there. And it totally works. It makes complete sense, despite the fact that it makes no sense a, 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 at all. But your, your, your point is also well taken. You know, look, plus I mentioned Trojan football, being a USC Trojan alumni. So, you know what I mean? I, I got a little uh, emotional connection. So it's almost a bit of a rap, too, interesting. You know, it's kind of a rap. Dum, dum, bum, 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 bum. You know, it's kind of a little melodic rap, but, you know, yep. he, he's a little bit talk singing there. So interesting album, which would lead to Sgt. Pepper's and the you know, it took them out of the rubber soles and the revolvers. This was the, the album that opened them up. Well, these guys are onto something else, and we'll tell you later. Yeah. The number 19 album on this list with, a, uh, so far, 425 weeks on the Billboard chart. This is a band that I'm personally a lot more fond of, but also an album that I feel like I'm in the extreme minority and not absolutely loving top to bottom. I am speaking of Fleetwood Mac's Rumors. Yeah, that's untouchable. You know, the whole side one, I mean, I'm old enough to remember records. Yeah. So like side one of rumors was just untouchable. You know, secondhand news, dreams, uh, go your own way, songbird, don't stop. And what's great about that band, dude, everybody in Fleetwood Mac would bring in their own song done. Whether it was Christine McVie with Don't Stop, Lindsey Buckingham, Secondhand News. Stevie Nicks with dreams. You know what I mean? They brought those or wrote those by themselves. Imagine that having that kind of creative output amongst your band members. Hey, Lindsay, got anything today? Yeah. You got this little Hey, Stevie, I got dreams. Yeah. You know what I mean? Did, uh, did you even, you know, did, Christy, I, uh, did you mention you make loving fun yet? It's incredible. No, I, I didn't. Even, I, exactly. Exactly. You make loving fun's amazing. I mean, you know, uh, gold dust woman is, is a great song. I, I just, it also, you know, when I, I guess uh, this record really hit the nerve of the times. Yeah. And I think that's when it really uh, something will explode. Um, Fleetwood Mac, I'm a fan of. They're one of those bands I'd go see now because you never know how many times they're playing again. You know, I, me and my wife and I have a thing where, you know, bands that are still out there doing it that we haven't seen, we want to go see because they're going to be gone forever. And that, that genre of music is going to be gone forever. You want to say rock and roll is dying, but it's certainly becoming specialized. It is going the way of jazz. You know what I'm saying? So these monstrous bands, these superstar bands, my wife and I want to go see. And in fact, my wife and I had a ticket to see Tom Petty that played the Hollywood Bowl. And we had our kids were really young that day. And as parents out there that have young kids, babies, for instance, know that a good night's sleep and resting in bed might be better than going out sometimes. So we said, you know what? Plenty of time to see Tom Petty. Uh, let, let's just give the tickets away and God rest his soul. So uh, 
that is our thing. We're going to see all these bands that uh, this is like maybe might be the last time around, especially since the pandemic. The Stones come back again. I'm going to see them because, you know, fucking Charlie, Charlie Watts is 85 years old. Man. Well, he, he hasn't wasted a lot of movement over the years. He has been pacing himself. That's for sure. <laughs> His charisma is actually helping him. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. That's the exact attitude that led me out to the racetrack to see Drama Rama and the motels. I just don't know if I'm going to get another chance to see them perform anything or only the lonely. And it's it's well, or, or, or suddenly last summer. Or man, suddenly last summer, yeah. I mean, come on. I mean, uh, Mot- Drama Rama is great, but motels, man, they're amazing. I had a chance to do a gig uh, with her, and she's uh, really, really nice, very shy, and just uh, she's another one kind of shy vocal, you know. But she has such a beautiful, such a great, just voice. silky, smooth out. She's amazing. She's yeah, amazing. I, I love the Motels hits. So you touched on something that provides a really neat segue, which is you know, rock and roll is not dying, but obviously the Giants are are near the end. The Pantheon, the Mount Rushmore people, for the most part, I'm old enough to remember when it was just a given that every Super Bowl was going to have some big classic rock act, and then they were kind of running short on them, so they started doing people the second time, and it was actually a question of what are we going to do? It was a foregone conclusion. It could only be red-blooded, all-American rock and roll. Well, it could have been the Who, too, but it had to be rock and roll to be in the halftime show, and what were we going to do when these guys got too old to do it? And nobody talks about that anymore. As a matter of fact, I think the world, is, certainly Twitter, would be pretty disappointed if they did roll a credible, boring, classic rock Bruce Springsteen out there when they would much rather react to Katy Perry's backup dancers. That's right. Or, or the weekend doing the weird thing in the lights and all that. It's exactly. just, you know, and, and here's the deal. Music's changing, man. Yep. And, you know, I've been in the game a long time. I've been a fan even longer. And this is what happens. It recycles itself. The new technology comes in. And then old curmudgeons like us go, remember when they used to play instruments? And it's just part of the deal. I mean, I told you this before. Like, I used to listen to The Clash, the Sex Pistols in my living room. And my dad would come in and be like, this stuff's never going anywhere. This stuff's crap. Ten years later, the offspring, Green Day, it's, it's, it's dominating music. So mm-hmm. it's going through its changes. It's hard to let it go, especially when you've made a living off music and know you're, be, you're becoming a part of that. But it's, music's just doing its thing. The technology has had a huge, huge hand in, uh, in certainly exacerbating that and expediting that. In a related story, at number 18 on our list, edging out Fleetwood Mac's rumors by four weeks on the Billboard Top 200, Drake. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yep. Here we go. Here's, I, I don't know what the singles are off of these. So I, I think this is the big one. I hope everybody. What's the everybody. record? What's the record called? Uh, the record is called Take Care. Wow. Let me just stop you right here. There's yep. a, there's a record in the top 20 that yep. you and I didn't know the title of. Uh, yeah, the next one's going to be. The I, I just want thing. you to sit on that for a second. There's probably not another title in there that you and I could name immediately. You know what I mean? Or at least it been had it been part of our just musical DNA. We I had to ask you what you know. If you would have told me "Take Care" has been on the charts longer than "Rumors," I, I yeah. would have fought. I would have fought you like I was supposed to. I am. I'm not here to. <laughs> that's right. Multiple <laughs> times, I think. It's come I'm a long way, baby. I'm not here to disparage Drake. I, I, I'm not I, I either. I don't care. But I do think it is worth pointing out being on the charts 
for in some ways for better, in some ways for worse, ain't what it used to be. Taint stick was on the charts. So <laughs> you gotta bear that in mind. But Drake can only play on the playing field in front of him. Yeah. And yeah, this this is a single off of Take Care. This is Drake and Marvin's Room. You were a good guy. But I've been drinking so much that I'ma call it anyway and say got the idea if you go in your kids room now and they're playing that your reaction well i i'm a drake fan i, I truly am mm-hmm. I, I like some of the latest stuff like that you know that laugh night laugh now cry later song like sometimes we laugh sometimes we cry babe i mean i, I and that song with rihanna like whack 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 i mean i'm a, I'm a drake fan I, I like his later stuff but I, i'm looking to the track listing on this take care record that we're all supposed to know and love I don't know one yeah. song off it. And if you told me, Mike Tully, that there's yeah. a song on the top 20 of, of the most uh, weeks on the Billboard Top 100, that not only will you not know the title of the record, you will not know one song off the record, I would have said, I, I, I said you're lying. I, 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 think it, I think it's also what you're saying is right. If Drake releases a record right now, uh, 10 of the songs are going to be in the top 100. And so he'll break a Beatles record or something that that's because they didn't release Beatles songs at once, you know? So like these records are being broken, but you've got to understand the change in the industry that I don't want to say makes it easier, but it certainly makes it different. If you're a gigantic superstar, like a Drake, like a Post Malone, your shit's going yeah. in the top, you know, your 10 songs on your record. If you're Drake are going in the top 100 immediately, whether they stay there for a second or not, it, it's, it depends on how the songs perform, but that's kind of how it is now. Next up on the list, 439 Weeks is a greatest hits album. Queen, greatest hits. Not a whole lot to really be said about that. Why not? Queen are a terrific band. They Do they go 20 deep? I don't know. Absolutely. Okay, Absol- but they certainly they certainly go greatest hits deep. Yeah, no, no. They 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 go 20 deep. It's not even, it's not even and look at I guess it depends because Queen is such a gigantic band that like I listen to their albums a lot. So like Fat mm-hmm. Bottom Girls, I mean, it wasn't necessarily a hit around the world, but to me, that's a big hit. Would you say it yeah. is? Well, again, the hit thing doesn't concern me so much. I just think it's, you know, what's the famous thing that that judge said about obscenity or pornography? I don't know what it is, but I know I know what it, I know it when I, I see, see it. it. Yeah. We just sort of know. I don't really I don't care to sit down and listen to Fat Bottom Girls, but it doesn't matter what I think about it. That's a Stone Cold classic. Yeah, that that's what I'm kind of getting at. I mean, yeah. objectively, we look at these things, which we're going to have to do if we get to 20 mm-hmm. classics. Forget our, you know, subjective opinion, whether we like it or not. You know, so if you look at that, if you look at the greatest hits, you know, Bicycle, Bicycle, I Want to Ride My... I don't care if I ever hit that, hear that song again. It's certainly Same. a Stone Cold killer, right? And I'm yeah. looking at... Uh, you know, I'm looking at 15, 16 off the greatest hits. That's just off the greatest hits. So I, I'm saying yeah. Queen is definitely a band that would get to that 20 hit. Well, the craziest 
the craziest, and I guess you'd have to look at the Stones and really see just how deep they go. They're probably the the other band they can give the Beatles a run for their money. Skipping ahead to number 13, as I said, the, the Beatles, it's not the greatest hits because there's two double greatest hits, 64, 67, and 67, 70. It's just number ones. And I read the description. It said it collects most of the Beatles' number ones, and it's still like... 23 tracks it's just like i don't if you listen again they did all of that in four years was there ever a time that there weren't two beatles songs in regular rotation on every top 40 station and rock station in america for nine years because it's just hard like just logistically to fit 25 number ones into a seven-year period without cannibalizing your own success. Well, that's what I'm saying. They were competing against themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then there were a bunch of knockoff bands like the Herman's Hermits, uh, uh, Jerry and the Pacemakers, uh, you, you know, uh, Freddie and the Dreamers, all bands that I love, you know, but they were just capitalizing on the success of the Beatles. So the Beatles' biggest competition were themselves and bands that sounded like themselves or bands that Paul McCartney was writing songs for. So it, it, <laughs> it, it, it's an incredible, incredible musical achievement. You know, you look at it like now, like, oh, well, he had two songs in the top 10. Well, you know, like Lil Pump just bragged about, hey, I had five songs in the top 20. No one's done that since the Beatles. And he was featured on one, and one was his song, and one was like Little Dirk's song. You know what I mean? So, like, the Beatles doing it is is so revolutionary and unheard of, and to me has never been done again since. Everything after that has a big asterisk on it, because like you said, they were, they, they, they'd almost have to stop releasing songs because they were only competing against themselves. They were hurting themselves when they released the song. It's crazy. That's right. That's right. Number 16 on our list is, well, you were saying you'd be surprised if there was anyone else on this list that you were not familiar with. Are you, are you sure if I play you a single off of an album that spent 447 weeks on the charts that you'll definitely know who it is? Yes. Okay, let's see. Here yes. we go. Because I, 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 I don't mind admitting that I would not. Oh, I have uh, no problem sure. admitting it either because you'll know right now if I don't know him. All right, let's try this, this one. This is right why here. we do this. It's so fun. Frank, Frank, Headshot. Frank, Frank, Sit down. Frank, Frank, Stand up. Frank, Frank, Pass out. Frank, Frank, Wake up. Frank, Frank, Fade it. Frank, Frank, Fade it. Night and grew around some people living their life in bottles. Granddaddy had the golden flash, backstroke every day in Chicago. Some people like the way it feels. Some people want to kill their sorrow. Some people want to fit in with the popular. That was my problem. I was in a dark room, loud tombs, looking to make a vow soon that I'm going to get fucked up. You got that? I've never heard that song before. Okay. <laughs> now, now, are we still on the records that spent the most time in the Billboard Top 200? Is that still the qualification here? Off of... Kendrick Lamar. Uh, no, no, I was gonna say. Uh, we, I, I thought oh. I was. I was gonna say Kendrick Lamar, but my I problem. Is, I believe you. If Kendrick Lamar to make this list, when did his first record come out? His record's never been off the charts since he's come. Like, it's, it, that's my question. Like, when did that record? Right. That, when did that well, record? It came out in 2012. Okay, so it's never been off the charts then. How many? How many? How many weeks has it been on the charts? We are talking about 447 weeks on the charts. 447 weeks. Do some quick math. Yeah, is it has it's still on the charts. So it's still in. So okay, so like yeah, cuz fi cuz 520 is 10 10 years. Right, right. So it never it's never left the top 200s what we're saying. 
And with bangers like that, why would it, Mark? <laughs> Listen, it's incredible, and it's kind of showing you what how the market has changed so radically. You know, you, you know what I'm saying. I don't think Kendrick Lamar's record in the traditional r- record industry, 70s, 80s, and 90s, would still be on the charts. I think it would still be recurrent. I think it would still have some good sales, but I don't think it would still be as big as it is now unless everything changed to this. Because streaming has a lot to do with what the, what's in the top 200 now. You know that, right? They don't know how to make a top 200. They're chasing their own tail to try right. to make... They, they, they pretty much on, on a, every three months, and I don't know this, but I know this, the people at Billboard sit down and they go, what are actually the 200 most popular records right now? And then let's make up some sort of formula algorithm by which we can tell everybody this is our criteria so it stays that way. Because if they did it... Any way that was traditional or straightforward, straight up record sales, heaven forbid, physical sales, they would end up with a list that would make itself irrelevant instantly. Boy, that's so well said. And it shows you by these these bands, the artists, these new artists that are creeping in with the Fleetwood Macs of the world, with the Beatles of the yep. world. Like Drake, I, Drake's fine. These guys, but they, they've been, they're still relevant in the game. And they're already in these legacy. There's not... There's not another artist that isn't named uh, Drake or um, or Kendrick Lamar that's in this top 20. There's not. That's a relevant artist today because pretty soon you're going to get like Little Mosey and people you've never heard of in these charts because of the algorithms of how the Hot 200 is being uh, is being uh, curated now. And I know I'm getting like too deep. I'm not losing people, but. It's changing. They're going to have to separate the two because of streaming and all that to really sort of pure up to, to like make it pure and let people know how these documents were really were historically important, you know, because all these new artists are going to knock all these groups out of the top 20 is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I think that that's okay. When I was a baseball guy, you know, I knew that Stan Musial hit, 400 and did Stan Musial hit 400 you know Ted Williams hit 400 guys used to hit 400 a long time ago and they weren't all better than Tony Gwynn despite the fact that Tony Gwynn never hit 400 because it was just a different game and that's that's the way that this is going to have to be judged to the extent that anybody cares if there's anybody 20 years from now who cares deeply about both Fleetwood Mac and Kendrick Lamar they'll be able to suss that out I don't know who that person's going to be well, listen, I'm just saying this, though. Baseball, the rules haven't changed. They have a yeah. little bit, but we have completely changed the recording industry. We completely changed how records are bought and sold. So, you know, the fact that Drake's record, which is an amazing record, uh, apparently to lots of people, I, I haven't heard much of it, is competing right there with these classics. To me, that, that's just a, that's a, that's a red flag that this thing is broken and needs to be fixed. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, well... It, it, the rest of the list is is interesting uh, in, in a lot of different ways. Let's, uh, again, try to keep this moving. We talked, I think, last time about ACDC's Back in Black. What more is there to be said about, about Back in Black? It's just perfect, and they should have been dead and finished, and instead they made an eternal all-time. Uh, you can't even say the standard by which coming back with a second singer is measured because it's ludicrous to think that anybody could ever come back with another singer and make the 15th best-selling album of all time, even factoring in Kendrick Lamar. 
Without a doubt, and especially how unique Bon Scott's charisma, performance, and voice yeah. was. You know, you're telling we're gonna play, we're gonna place Bon Scott. Great, good luck with that. You know, and and, mm-hmm. and and ACDC did it. Enough time has passed, has shown you how damn difficult that is. ACD, ACDC did it and didn't lose a fan. In fact, they gained millions more. Van Halen did it. Kept some fans, lost some fans, and there's always going to be that argument between Dave and uh, Sammy. There's never an argument between Vaughn and uh, and uh, Brian Johnson. Uh, yeah, and Brian. There's never an argument. You know what I mean? There's always a unity of like, yeah, what a great you know evolution. Do you, you know what I'm saying? So to me, ACDC yeah. is the only band that's really ever done a successful completion of a of a uh, a lead singer. Who was the lead singer of uh, Pink Floyd on day one? Uh, shit, was it uh, was Sid Barrett? Right, that's I'm I, wondering. I don't know. I mean, I know there's a roving band of Sid Barrett's, John Waters, and David Gilmore's that sang. Yeah. They all sang, right. but I think Sid Barrett was the original singer, uh, and then you know just too much acid, and they just went a different way. Okay, uh, next on the list is Michael Jackson's Thriller, 471 weeks on the charts. That's not too surprising. If anything, I'm surprised it's not a little bit higher. Me too. There were, Me too. There were seven singles off of Thriller, each of which is an eternal classic. Mark McGrath, do you know what the—I was surprised what the first single off of Thriller was. Despite the fact I remember the song well, I didn't even realize it was on Thriller. Uh— Oh gosh, the first song on Thriller was probably gonna be um uh, was it was it PYT? Was that the it first was single? Not. No, chair, check this out. I, I just checked it again because I doubted my own notes. Understand the way you think, saying that she's yours, not mine. Sending roses and your silly dreams. Really just a waste of time because she's mine. What it's is interesting. What's well, surprising to me because it doesn't set the tone of this record at all. Nope. To me, nope. this is coming out of the late seventies, early eighties thing we talked about. You know, artists that kind of came out of the seventies trying to make it happen, but staying true to like that seventies production. I mean, you had Beat It coming, you had Billy Jean coming, you had PYT coming, you had Want to Be Starting Something coming. The Thriller is a dance record. It's not a hot AC record. And to lead with this single, obviously you got Paul McCartney on it. Now, Paul McCartney and, and, and Michael Jackson together was incredible at the time, right? So maybe that was the thinking behind this. Or maybe they just knew they had 45 singles coming right behind it. Um, but I know the song was a hit. It did well, you know? Yeah. And and Say, Say, Say had already been a successful single. I didn't know the order Are of that. Are you sure? I guess that- that's what I said on Wikipedia. They said that it was sort of like a home and away series where okay. Paul had a song with Michael and then Michael had a song with Paul in, in, in that order. And I could understand under ordinary circumstances, you have a ready-made hit single duet with Paul McCartney. Duh, that's the single. But it, it, they made Thriller with admittedly such a chip on their shoulder that if, if it was an unestablished artist, of course you would lead with that. But 
they made it with such purpose, and they obviously left the studio with a pretty good idea that they had more than achieved what they set out to accomplish. I can't believe anybody was on board with leading with a duet. That should have been the seventh single, without a doubt. Record when 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 everything had been proven, just number one after number one after number one. Oh yeah, and here's the song he did with Paul. Maybe there was a quid pro quo where they're like, Maybe. "Look, we're gonna we're gonna do say say say. We're gonna roll with that single. Then you come on mine. You know, because right, you know, Michael Jackson though he was coming off off the wall and he had success. You know." Arguably, the early 80s, Paul McCartney was trying to figure out where he stood in in the pop landscape, hooking up with Michael Jackson, who was like not only a superstar, but on his way to becoming the biggest superstar in the world. Not a bad uh, someone to uh, hitch your ride to. So maybe there was some kind of politics behind it, but it's just very interesting to me. And especially because Paul McCartney has no writing credit on that song. No, really? No. That sounds like prime Paul Schlock. It feels like, you know, especially... Paul was known as the, the one with the melody in uh, in the Beatles. You mentioned A Day in the Life earlier. Those are songs are written two, two different parts. Two different parts. The first part yep. is, you know, John Lennon. And it's so Lennon, you know. And then it's in the Paul McCartney's Woke up, get out of bed, run to his murder. And so he's always part of that, like that light melody. And that just, that's, that's right out of the Paul McCartney songbook to me. So I was kind of mm-hmm. shocked to see he didn't have anything to do with that song. The next two albums on this list, number 12 and 11, are the only two, I think, who they have a different sort of asterisk on them. They both, uh, you know, are on this list despite the fact that they were released before Billboard kept the top 200, which is to say their number should be quite a bit higher 480 weeks and 490 weeks, respectively. Do you have. I never in a trillion. I would have guessed Drake before I would have guessed either of these. That really, yeah. So, but they were started before the hot, before the top two hundred, right? You're telling me, yeah, yeah. So they're real old. Well, something's got to be Elvis, right? Nope. Um, hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, uh, maybe Stones is a Stones record. It is not. God, I don't know, dude. You're confusing me. I, I'm so lost with the Drake and Kendrick inclusions. I, know, I, I don't I know. know. I don't know where to go anymore. Look, I don't even know if I have the right version of this. I don't know that it really totally matters. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how familiar you are with My Fair Lady. <laughs> no, it's just on the street where you I think that was the original everybody somewhere in their stack of vinyl has the original cast recording of My Fair Lady. Well, it's pretty incredible, man, because um, like you mentioned, My Fair Lady's been off the uh, the charts probably since 1974. Like, like when was the last time My Fair Lady was in the top 200? So I was shocked. I'm not a, a musical show tune guy at all, but considering that it's on this list, I went looking for, oh, what's the song that I've heard before that I just didn't know was from My Fair Lady? There is no such song. It's gone from the culture. 
The only one I know is I could have danced all night. I, I, you remember that song? I, I just, I nope. just know it. It's a, yeah. I mean, I look, I, I'm, I'm looking for, uh, but boy, it really shows you, like you said, this was kind of the thriller of the sixties of the late 50s. You know what I mean? This, this record was so gigantic. I'm getting the feeling then that the sound of music is coming up next. No, you would be wrong. Now, there's lots and lots and lots of names that you hear from the olden days, and I don't know who was the biggest dude ever or, or where they all rank in regard to one another. I obviously know Frank Sinatra was king shit. I wouldn't have known that Johnny Mathis had the 11th greatest selling album of all time. Now, this seems kind of weird to me. This This is a greatest hits album, and they say this is sort of the album that invented greatest hits albums. It seems very, very strange to me that nobody thought before to record, to collect a couple of songs that have been successful together on a compilation. That seems like a very old fashioned record business thing to do, but sure. I don't, I don't know a Johnny Mathis song. I think here, here's the first track on the essential Johnny Mathis. See if this rings any bells for you. Chances are you think my heart That means so much to me. I'm a gigantic oh, yeah. Johnny Mathis uh, fan. Um, chances are uh, 12th of Never, uh, wonderful, wonderful. I, I am a huge Johnny Mathis. My mom loved Johnny Mathis. It's a huge part of my family. Um, I, I love his voice. He's been around forever. Still performing today. Still sounds great. Gigantic fan. You've certainly heard the song Chances Are in your life. It sounds like the musical milieu in which I grew up. I've mentioned many, many times the jukebox in the dive bar that was passed around ownership for aunts and uncles and my dad and my family. That sounds like something that was in the jukebox it at the blue bar in Kearney, New Jersey. That sounds like something that my grandma would have listened to. No, that song in particular doesn't really mean anything to me. That's crazy because like in the 80s, they made a movie called Chances Are with Molly Ringwald and, uh, yeah. and uh, Robert Downey Jr., and um, uh, Moonlighting Gal, uh, it's it's escaping me for one Civil second. Civil Shepherd. Civil Shepherd, yeah. Uh, yeah. And chances are, we're just playing throughout the whole thing. It's kind of a big move in the '80s. I mean, you, you were you were alive and well and getting your metal on. So I'm surprised that 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 song's escaped because that to me is a classic. That is his biggest song. That's like Sinatra's New York, New York. Uh, mm -hmm. But it surprises me that this record is that big. I'll tell you that 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 it does. Yeah. I love that stuff, but it's also very maudlin. To me, that's like a, a depressed brown liquor kind of drunk. It's schmaltzy. No, it is. Yeah. There, there's a yeah. depressive element to that. It's, you know, you don't just put that on. Well, I, I do. I, I, I got to check. I got to do. There's some great. I, I love, I love Johnny Mathis. I, I, you know, you are, you're not preaching the choir with your anti-Mathis sentiments over here. <laughs> No, I dig it. I dig it. I can get down with it. It just doesn't, to me, stand out from 
Real a number version. of other songs. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> like the, I feel like that was a, a genre, and I didn't know that Johnny Mathis had in particular distinguished himself among a lot of guys who learn to croon a similar way. Yeah, but he really was one of the top of the crooners. Yeah, obviously, for, obviously, for, for yeah. sure, and still doing it today. Yeah. still, still touring. God bless. That's him. terrific. All right, we've made it through 10. Let's see, 10 more. How quick can we do these? Uh, it will not shock you. This is the only, well, no, no, no. There's another There's another surprise coming up. It will not surprise you to find out that Adele's 21 spent the better part of 10 years on the charts. Why not? When nobody could sell records, when nobody, they only sell like two CDs at a time at right. Starbucks, and it made sense <laughs> that hers displaced Nora Jones. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, you know, like, Adele did the impossible. What did she sell her first week out? Some like, some incredible number. Was it like five, nine, something? This is, like, mind-boggling. Because you thought that would never get done again. I think NSYNC yeah. sold two and a half million in 99 or something right. its first week. And, and that was an incredible, incredible feat. And I, and I said to myself, that record will never be broken again. Not only did it get broken again, it got broken in the traditional sense with hard copies, meaning someone out and bought CDs of this yeah. record 21. It wasn't just uh, you know streaming and all that stuff. This is uh, probably the last of the big uh, records to come out before streaming was integrated as part of a qualification to get on the top 200. Yeah, yeah. But there was already a lot of people who were losing. There's a certain kind of thing. And Nora Jones, to me, was way before Adele. And she was already exceptional at that point where people, I don't know what it is. It's, it, I hate to say it because I like Nora Jones and I like Adele, but people who didn't love, a mu love music enough or weren't passionate enough about it to have become savvy enough to steal it, people who bought one album every three years. And so they literally still went and got the copy at Barnes and Noble, or you can't just be good to, to still move physical copies. You need to appeal to non music fans. In addition to, to music fans, there's You're no other way right. to say it. It was a perfect yeah. storm of like, I, you know, the cubicle gals buying their one CD every right. two years. And Adele was it, you know, and I also yeah. think Adele, um, you know, carried the torch awful for from Amy Winehouse. And we lost Amy, yep. you know, that incredible R&B singer that could sing anything and had an otherworldly voice. Well, usually a generation only has one of those. Turns out this generation created two. Unfortunately, one is only with us anymore. So I think Adele yeah. really, you know, there was a yearning for that wonderful Amy Winehouse sound. And I think Adele uh, was able to, you know, to to, uh, to to get her fans. Oh, I don't want to say, you know, I don't want to say capitalize on anything, but was able to, you know, really keep that torch bearing female voice alive on behalf of Amy. Well, but I'll I'll take it one further. I think she took that and then built upon it because I'd say the same thing about Amy Winehouse that I would say about Lauren Hill as a solo artist, where the talent was so enormous and the vocal chops were so great. It didn't matter that the songs weren't all that great. Nobody's going to be reinventing, you know, they tried to make me go to rehab, no, no, no. Just like nobody's going to be reinventing that thing, that thing, that thing. 
right. Rolling in the Deep or, or or any of the singles off of 21 by Adele are these songs. And as time goes on, by definition, they get harder and harder to make. These songs that when you hear them, you go, I, I've never heard that before, but I feel like I've known that my entire life. That is that is such an essential piece of music. And there's just fewer and fewer of those left. Which is a perfect recipe for a hit. Sounds familiar, but it's new and yeah, you're talking about tone, Lauren Hill, Amy yeah. Winehouse, Adele. It's that tone, the ability to emote and to, uh, you know, to, to to really hit the humanity of people. And when you have that, these three two, three others do, you are right. You could take maybe, I don't say subpar songwriting, but songs that are like gigantic hits off the gate, she can make them hits with the way she can turn a phrase, her tonality, uh, doing these vocal runs that she does. Uh, next up on the list, this will be the last of the late comers. Number nine, 520, and even 10 years on the charts, the debut album from Bruno Mars, Duops and Hooligans. Eh, you know. I, I'm co-signing, you know, because uh, mm-hmm. he became a superstar very quickly. Super talented yep. guy. Uh, yep. Effortlessly writes hit songs. Um, mm-hmm. And he's the, he's the he's the real deal. He, he's an entertainer. He he goes out there, gives you a show in in the Michael Jackson, Prince, you know, Justin Timberlake vein. He's the showman, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but he can sing, but he can write songs. He can play every instrument. So he, he's a superstar that deserves to be where he is. You know, do I do I love do I stand Bruno Mars? No. Do I love a lot of his songs? Yes. Yeah, exactly. He's just a, a, a less distinctive performer and will leave less of a distinctive creative legacy than everybody else on this list. But yeah, 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 I'm not I'm not offended by Bruno Mars's existence or uh, Titanic success. Number eight on the list, another greatest hits album. I wouldn't if we're ranking classic rock acts that are on these all time greatest hits level. I would not have guessed that Creedence Clearwater Revival would be quite this far up. For example, the Eagles' greatest hits, spoiler alert, is not on is not on this list. So Credence had en- enjoyed more uh, chart success with their greatest hits than the Eagles did? Wow, you know, I would have bet you $1,000 if yeah. you had said between the Eagles and Credence, who's in the top 10? And, yeah. And, 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 and I, yeah, I, so, yeah, I, I'm a huge Credence fan. You are. I love I love John Fogarty. The story's fantastic. If you guys ever do a deep dive on Credence, he lost all his publishing. It's he being John Fogarty. It's an incredible, incredible story. Uh, his brother was in the band and cited against him with the record label. You got to, you got to just just Wikipedia the story because it's incredible. Uh, for John Fogarty to come out alive and not go murder ninety people after his whole story, <laughs> no, really, because it's just like his whole. He wrote the songs by himself, you know, and it just. To have that whole be taken away, I, I can't imagine the frustration. Luckily, things have somehow been corrected somewhat. Um, but I think John Fogarty and Creedence are such a specialized sound. I'm shocked that they are so gigantic and widely loved. Do you know what I mean? It's like saying that, mm-hmm. oh, Poco's also in the top 10 list. Or so was uh, Firefall. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Obviously, Creedence is way bigger. But to have that kind of success, the Eagles aren't in it. Yeah, no, that's that's surprising to me for sure. Next on the list at number seven, not a greatest hits album. I would argue nobody knows what's in the heart and mind of another man or woman, but 
this might be the only album on the list where the artist truly was not trying to make an all-time classic and had to have been somewhat surprised that they did. I am speaking of Nirvana and Nevermind. Fleetwood Mac was trying to write an all-time record with rumors. Do you think Kurt Cobain thought that he had hit it out of the park to that extent? No, no, definitely not. I, I think you know, tragic history has kind of you know, proven that, unfortunately. I think he thought he wrote a good record. And from what I've read, they liked it. I, I, I know he they fought a lot with Butch Vig on the mix of that. They thought it was too shimmery, yeah. too shiny. Yeah. And that's why they went with Steve Albini within utero that was a big fuck you to Butch Vig. He's like, what did I do? I just made you the biggest band in the world. So I, I think what he did, Butch Vig, and boy, that was a, uh, I wouldn't want to dance that precipice he did. He had a, he knew these songs were incredible, but he, he had to shine them up a little bit to make them palatable for the label. So he's got to deal with Geffen in his ear, but he's got to deal with Kurt Cobain in his ear, two of the most powerful industry of figures we've ever had on earth and made this beautiful piece of work called Nevermind. So I think Kurt was almost afraid when he heard it that, oh shit, this is gonna, you know what I mean? This might really, these are my songs polished to a T, you know? I think there's something yeah. there. Because the first time I heard uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit, I was passed out. The song woke me up from a drunken pass out. And I'm like, what's, what's this? Like two in the morning, K Rock getting back to K-Rock, was yeah. playing it on their specialties program at two in the morning. And it woke me out of a deep sleep. I go, what is this? And it was smells like Teen Spirit. So I don't think he thought he was going to become the biggest band in the world, but I certainly thought he thought success was possible. What do you think, Tony? Well, I think that it's weird when you judge yourself and compare yourself to a bunch of bands who are leery of success themselves you're just shooting for something different. Now, uh, two spots ahead of them on the list is going to be Guns N' Roses. Actually, genuinely surprising to me, it's not Appetite for Destruction. It is Guns N' Roses' greatest hits. What sort of fool likes Guns N' Roses enough to go and get an album and doesn't know that Appetite is better than the greatest hits, which, which is stuffed with all kinds of weird stuff from the spaghetti incident? I remember Slash, his stock answer when they say, did you know when you made Appetite that you had made Appetite? And he said, I really thought that we had made something amazing that was going to be really, really cool in an underground sort of way. I thought we were going to go gold. I really thought we knocked it out of the park and we were going to be like, you know, kind of like what Jane's Addiction was after their first album. The coolest of the cool, anybody with tastes into this, like the cult, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So. Mm -hmm. I think that maybe Kurt Cobain couldn't was so outside of the mainstream sensibility that he didn't even know what was going to pop with the mainstream sensibility. He probably just knew that he his music was, uh, despite the fact that it was mixed, he literally said they made me sound like Motley Crue, that he had made something that could hang with any of his contemporaries in the Seattle world, the sub pop world. If you know, he could hang with Mud Honey. I don't know that he was even thinking of frontiers beyond that. No, I, I think that's entirely correct. I mean, he had to go home and explain to his homies and the Melvins, you know, yeah. uh, you know, and Tad and those bands, and, and go yeah. like, what, "What is this pile of shit you made?" You know what I mean? Well, it's, <laughs> right. well, well, it's number one on the chart, so. Man, and I, you look, I mean, he wrestled with that. He struggled with that. And I just wish he could have just enjoyed it 
He wrote this beautiful yeah. song. It, it, it's weird. Like you two wrote this beautiful song about the death of Michael Hutchins called Stuck in a Moment that you can't get out of. It's a beautiful song. I mean, whether you two fan or not, it's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful tribute to a friend. Kurt Cobain was just stuck in a thing. If he could have just made it through that thing, I think right now Kurt Cobain would be enjoying the success. You know what I mean? He'd be on the Neil yeah. Young train and, and the pressure's over, but I think he was just so caught up in it and so the minutia of being the superstar but having to go home to Seattle and still wanting to go to the Crocodile Cafe and seeing the uh, the Zootons, whoever the fuck it was, playing that night and be under the radar, except he was the biggest star in the world. So it's obviously something he, uh, he fought against. Um, so it, it's a shame but I wish he could have enjoyed the success a little bit more because you know, songs are amazing. They're amazing. They're amazing. A little bit similar to some stuff I might say about number six on the list, also a greatest hits album, Curtain Call, the greatest hits of Eminem, a guy who simultaneously courted and still courts success while seeming legitimately, I don't think it's totally opposed, uncomfortable with being a successful popular artist. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. You know, he's never left Detroit. He's never, like, enjoyed the trappings of New York or Hollywood. You, know, you never see that guy in the clubs. He's very isolated. Apparently, he surrounds himself with a small circle of people, and you can't get to the guy. Um, uh, so, yeah, I don't think he was ready for what was happening at all. He's incredible talent. I'm not the biggest Eminem fan in the world. You know, when I nope. think of the top five rappers, he's not even in my top five. That's just me, though, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't think his records are must haves. But, but again, I, 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 I think he's a superstar and well-deserving, but he's not in my top five as a rapper. So I've never been a guy that's had, you know, all of Eminem's records and I studied him top to bottom. I've enjoyed him, you know, parted with him a few mm -hmm. times, but other than that, you know, it was, uh, that's my, what's your Eminem philosophy? Where you at with him? Okay. It's very, very simple. And to me, <laughs> it's very straightforward. I don't know why the world isn't on board with this with me. The, 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 I forget who's Marshall and who's Eminem and who's Slim Shady, but him trying to do the tough guy voice is fairly ludicrous to me. So when he was still doing the without me character, the my name is character, but it's, I, I gave him one, um, whatever I am, whatever you say I am, he could do one tough guy song to kind of flex that part of his ability. But now I feel like more often than not, he leans on that persona and that vocal tone. And that has never, ever worked for me. And that's, that's more and more, uh, it, it, it there's like literally two M&Ms to me. And I don't know why everybody else doesn't see it the same way that I do. The other guy was, was, was fun and cool. And the fluidity that it allowed him vocally verbally was cool. He, he's kind of laughable as a tough guy to me. Well, it's kind of funny that you say that because you know how rock bands mature? Eminem matured. Yeah. We've never seen a hip-hop artist mature on, right. on that level. So now he's just maturing into this like mature thing. He's filthy rich. Uh, yeah. You can't keep rapping about your mom and, and you hate your wife. You know what I'm saying? Eminem's life's pretty good. So, oh, yeah, 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 definitely. So it, it's interesting how, how do you stay creative and how do you stay on point as a uh, hip-hop artist when you're over 40? It's almost impossible. There aren't many relevant, but it's not many relevant rock bands or 40 either. Same thing. Yeah. Well, look, I'll, I'll talk out of both sides of my mouth on, on Eminem because he did go back to, uh, to the, the character kind of thing that I, I claim to like for, you know, there's always a couple of new tracks they throw on the greatest hits album. And it's, 
it's interesting when people add, uh, you know, have to add these couple of new songs. We talked about this last time that you yeah. throw on a cover and Tom Petty put on Mary Jane's Last Dance. It usually doesn't measure up to the artist's greatest work for a lot of reasons that make a lot of sense. But boy, quite possibly the worst song added to a greatest hits album might be this little ditty right here you may or may not recall. That's like that's like morning show bit bad. It's it is morning zoo guys. <laughs> you know it, it's uh, but to me when he kind of lost the plot. Remember that song he did was like he was going huh 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 huh. Do you remember that? Mm. I can't remember the name it was, but yeah, to me it was like that's a man that's out of ideas right now or needs to to rest a little bit. You know. Yeah. He was going like huh huh huh. Do you do it? You know it was like a, a it was like he was dressed as like a superhero and like I, I was like wow. <laughs> This is yeah. unlistenable, you know, he's but ra- he's rallied a couple times. Just when you think he's done, he'll come back with something and he continues to resonate with, you know, he wouldn't still be as relevant as he is if he wasn't managing to connect with new generations of listeners. And, you know, that's that's kind of the ultimate that's the ultimate test. That's another thing that we haven't seen a ton of hip hop acts do. Usually your audience grows old with you. It's still it seems to me more often than not an event when Eminem comes out with a new album. Here we are all the way in 2021. So kudos. Absolutely. And the man can fill stadiums still. So you know what I mean? How many hip hop artists can do that? He can fill not arenas stadiums. Mm -hmm. So uh, the guy's a superstar. No doubt. We are sort of nitpicking him here, but that's what we do on the, that's what we do on the show. Sure. Sure. So the guns and roses hits album, which is like half covers is number five. I cannot believe, I can't believe that that has had more chart success than Appetite. I, I don't believe it. I don't. It's it's baffling. Look, I can't right? agree with I the facts. It's maddening. Wikipedia, Wikipedia is literally never wrong, so we, we don't have a leg never to stand once. here. Never once. Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> I corrected. Number four on the list, Metallica, Metallica, as it's far better known, the Black Album, 608 weeks on the chart and... Why not? Yeah, I don't. I don't have any issue with that. That 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 would have been in the top five. Easy call for me. Even though it's yeah. funny when we did the most successful American bands of all time, we forgot to mention Metallica. But totally. I'm just not a gigantic Metallica fan. I like the earlier stuff, Master of Puppets. You know, Kill sure. 'Em All. I ride the lightning, and just because it was fast, I was in a punk rock back then. And I thought it was cool, um, but I just I didn't grow with Metallica like everybody else did. You know, watching them become a classic rock band. I didn't really jump onto that one, you know, for me. That was definitely the last stop on the Metallica train. I think most of us would agree. I drank the Kool-Aid because they did a really masterful, really thorough public relations thing. I remember Lon Friend, the editor of Rip Magazine, was in the studio doing a monthly update. Like, literally, it's dropping in the studio and telling you what was happening with it. So I knew, like, the philosophy into it, of it going in. And it was the natural culmination of what they had done. The songs were six minutes, and then they were eight minutes, and then they were 11 minutes. And there was just nowhere for them to go anymore so they flipped it all over on its head and a song like Enter Sandman is effectively one riff. Yeah. And yeah. Th- and and that was 
after that they truly had nowhere to go because they 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 they, they had they had done a complete 180 and wrapped up this this sprawling thing into this neat tight perfect little bow uh production that still sounds sort of futuristic to this day it was the best produced metal album by light years mm-hmm. and the songs were i don't know that there's uh, maybe my favorite song on that album is sad but true that's not that's not one of the better songs on master of puppets but they just they just they 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 nailed it i think you said something very poignant there you know they they go okay i think we've hit the ceiling with this slayer exodus uh death angel thing we're doing and let, no let's doubt. let's go for the majors let's become a classic rock band and i say that i know metallica is hardcore but you're gonna have metallica on uh, classic rock stations with aerosmith and all that and oh, you're yeah. not gonna hear slayer on classic rock stations so you can see uh, metallica made the jump and no one else has ever made the jump but metallica from that hardcore death metal you know vibe metallica made the jump by, like you said by design got Bob Rock involved and were extremely successful and became America's, you know, probably all time most successful rock band, according to this chart. And even though you and I missed it. Right, right, right. And I think without sacrificing credibility, I think that most metal people would tell you that they like that record. They respect that record, not their favorite Metallica album, but they didn't have to sacrifice being Metallica to get there. And that's, that's, and obviously the culture was ready for it as, as well. You know, absolutely, absolutely. The culture was ready for un- for Unforgiven to be something like a hit song. Absolutely, and MTV was changing, and you know, it, we were coming out of the you know the 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 new Roman, the you know the hair metal kind of run its course a little bit, and Metallica was going to hang side by side with Nirvana. You know what I mean? They were mm-hmm. going to be uh, appreciated. Let's be honest, the, the 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 background between Metallica. And Nirvana, it's not that far apart. Both are listening to Motorhead. Both had the Sex Pistols on. Both love NWA. It's found different paths, you know. So there was some patico in the music that led to the success of, you know, the Black Album, if you will. And of course, never mind. They're not that far apart, you know. Ironically, again, a classic rock act with a greatest hits album is next on our list, number three. Six hundred sixty-nine weeks on the charts. Again, it's not the Eagles. It's not the Rolling Stones. Can you guess who this act is? This is the best-selling greatest hits album. Well, maybe not the best, but the longest run of success for any greatest hits album that I'm aware of. Mm, man, that's it, it, it's just this whole thing has been confusing with credence up this high, you know, know. and all that. Um, I'm scared to hazard even a guess. I mean, it, 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 I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I feel like I probably owe the, uh, the top three, a snippet of music. Yeah. I, these are all huge bands. So it's not like, Oh really? Were they successful? <laughs> right. Know? It we, could we, be we, the we doors. Know. It could be the doors. No, it could be, it's you know, not. it could be, well, I know I, but I, you know, it could be, uh, it's a greatest hits, right? Yep. No, no, but it, you said Boston. No, you're 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 getting you're getting warmer. Here we go. A singer in a smoky room. A smell of wine and cheap perfume. For a smile they can share the night. It goes on and on and on and on. Strangers waiting. Up and down the boulevard. 
Okay, I'll say it. Does Journey go 20 deep? Yes. Journey does go 20 deep. And, okay. and I'll tell you, Journey does. If we sat down, you'd see us go. Because you got you to gotta remember, Journey had the love and touch and squeezing, like late 70s yeah. stuff, before you got into the Faithfully and the Don't Stop Believing stuff. I mean, they had some big songs in the in the 70s. So they definitely go 20 deep. When you're, when you're, when you're this high up in the hot 200 uh, all-time uh, weeks, you go 20 deep. Um, oh, I, wait, wait, I forgot. There actually is one more. I, I don't even think of this as a greatest hits album. There is one more greatest hits album, which makes, we all know the number one is going to be, is going to be Pink Floyd by A Country Mile. Another greatest hits album. Now, I, I don't personally know a ton of people who owned Journey's greatest hits. I know they're out there. I know they're out there, but I don't know a ton of those. Every single person I've ever met who likes music at all has owned the number two album on this list. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm scared to talk. <laughs> yeah. I'll just play. I'll just play it for you then. so happy to hear Bob Marley's up this high because I was going to say Bob Marley, but then like at number two of all time, you know, and when Credence was, eight, things aren't making sense in this goddamn list, you know, but, you know, but how many weeks has Bob Marley been on the charts, Dolly? I got 679 weeks for Legend, which means they edge out Journey. It edges out Journey by a mere eight weeks. Which is phenomenal because, like, Legend could drop off, and then, you know, don't stop yeah. believing. It's another Sopranos thing, you know. It's just it's yeah. really crazy how it works. But, uh, well, I'm so glad to hear that because, uh, you know, that that that's one of my all time favorite. When I went to on Big Brother, you get to pick one CD, you know, sort of like a Desert Island thing. That if you win the HOH contest, which is a competition amongst the house guests, you get to listen to music, uh, one CD, and mine was Legend by Bob Marley. You know, it's my Desert Island disc never get sick of it and no. i think it's also a gateway record for a lot of high school freshmen who discover marijuana for the first time yeah. no doubt no doubt and i think probably the reason why it is so high on this list is because i don't hang out and smoke weed with a lot of high school kids these days but i don't think <laughs> i don't i had a good run but i <laughs> I don't think it's ever stopped being that album for people. Yeah, I think no, exactly. every generation rediscovers that this album's really good and it's even better when you smoke weed. That's right. And it's and it's almost the same, you know, uh, analogous to what Pink Floyd's record is too. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, you get stoned. That's why I say when you go to college, you know, everybody's got Legend, everybody's got Sublime's first record, you know, everybody's got Dark Side of the Moon. It's just, it is your... Gateway into marijuana listening experience. Legend and Pink Floyd. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Can I tell you, I am not so Pink Floyd. We're at we're at the end of our rainbow here. I don't know if I've ever listened to Dark Side of the Moon, top to bottom. I went to a laser light show one time. 
but I don't know if I've ever... I'm going to, because I, I don't think I have... It's a very, very, very strange album to be the number one album of all time by miles and miles. There's very few things on that album that really even qualify as, like, songs. Right. I mean, you can ask most people, too, and they'll lie to you. Go, you know, name, name four songs in Dark Side of the Moon. They, they no, can't. I couldn't. They won't pay I couldn't. They don't I, I've never been a big Pink Floyd fan. I haven't. No. And this was never a song to me. I can tell you I've never listened to the album, top to bottom, never. And I was never really a big fan until I heard someone played Us and Them for me the other day. And I was, I was in Twilight, and I was about to sleep because I sleep with uh, earphones in, earbuds in because of my titanitis. And so I started listening to the song, and I was linear focused on it because it was dark in my room. And I'm like, this is a great song it was the first time a song off dark side of the moon spoke to me and it was it, I, I i don't need to play a clip I'll, I'll, I'll play it out for the end of this episode but that's oh, the were you one gonna that play was, that one were you gonna play that's that one? the one i was gonna play that's such a terrific and 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 lyrically it's it's so incredibly powerful in in mere syllables you know magic it's it's in, it's in, it's incredible yeah i uh, and, and and it's such economy of words and melody i know i know uh, and then it's like, and I don't know it. These saw I just it it hit me perfectly, and I go, "Wow, I get it now." It took me a long time to get Led Zeppelin, and I got it. it took me a long time uh, to get Pink Floyd. It took me fifty three years. I finally got it. I got. It. I see it. I don't love it, but I see it. Yeah, yeah. I had a little run with like side one of the wall. So it's not that I've never been able to get into them at all, but I know this is the one that you're really supposed to do. And it's just stupid. I'm going to listen to it tomorrow. Like I've never listened to freaking Dark Side of the Moon. It's the most successful album of all time. What am I doing here? And I, the thing is, I would kind of, I, I, I like them. There, There's lots of things I, I say. It just doesn't feel sticky to me. I can listen to it once and go, yes, that's very, very good. Amazing piece of work. Well done. I don't really need to listen to that again and i think that's more than anything the way i've t typically felt about the classic pink floyd stuff i flat out don't like the early stuff i spent a I, year i spent a year of hard time living with a couple of morons who swore that the greatest <laughs> thing that ever happened was these guys doing a live album at mount vesuvius oh yeah, and, yeah. i wrote that and i i disagree i strongly disagree but this is a different story the classic the wall the the dark side that it, it it's it's obviously a thing and i'm going to rededicate myself to getting that thing because it's 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 stupid for me to have not spent a little bit more time with it well i'm with you and i, I want to like this i just haven't the individual songs haven't grabbed me but maybe in one giant package how it was meant to be sequenced sequenced and you know where the songs are lined up, I'm going to listen to you. I'm fascinated about that story that you can sync this up with the Wizard of Oz and everything mm -hmm. makes sense. You know that, of course, right? Sure. Yep, 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 yep. I, I never tried it. I don't know. I didn't either, but I apparently, do you know the story? If you sync the Wizard of Oz up with Dark Side of the Moon, everything makes sense for some reason. I don't know what the actual, I mean, the listeners right now are probably yelling at, the, at you and I, but I don't know how it works, but apparently... Everything makes sense and goes with the scenes. I, you got really stoned too. I think a lot more people who were high would tell you it works than yeah. people who were than people who right. were sober. I think you're yeah. right, bro. Yep. All right. Well, we've gone on longer than I than I thought we would. Uh, so I think this is I think this is where we call it an evening. Beautiful. I'm glad we got through the twenty, man. You know, feels right. Feels good. Yeah, I feel I feel good about this. I feel good about this. I feel better about us doing this again in person. Hopefully, uh, hopefully next week. Hopefully, sometime very soon. 
Yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely with you. It's much better, but it's great to see it. It's always fun to chat music. Likewise. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, everyone, for listening. 